Hello and welcome to another episode of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this week's edition, we'll be discussing another round of Copa Libertadores action. And joining me to do that is, well, only one person this week, and that's Austin Miller. So, how are you, Austin? I'm good, Adam. Uh, short staff this week, uh, South American Football Show headquarters, obviously, but uh, happy to be here and surprised you made the podcast after the unfortunate footballing week that you had. Condolences to you for both Norwich and whatever it was Chilean teams tried to do this week. Yeah, well, at least at least Norwich didn't lose, but yeah, it was it was a heartbreaking way not to win. But yes, um, yeah, I'm here. Unlike Simon, you know, I'm not I'm not going to suddenly disappear off the pod because because uh, my country's teams haven't, haven't Argenti- done well. <laughs> Our Argentine contingent has strangely strangely gone quiet too after yes. their Libertadores. Very true. Yeah, um, plenty to discuss as always. But yeah, I, I won't be as happy as I was last week. Okay, well. Let's uh, let's get the pod underway, and first we're going. Well, we actually we're going to go in Group order this week from from A to H. Um, so we're going to start with Group A, and probably the game of the week. Um, certainly, the best game I saw this week, anyway, and that was International Free Palestino Two. Austin, I will probably speak mostly about this game, but I thought even though they lost, I thought. Palestino actually gave one of the best performances of the week and, and and they were a little bit unfortunate to lose. Would you agree with that short assessment? Yeah, this game felt a lot like Internacional's home match from a week prior against River Plate, uh, where they took a, a two-goal lead and looked like one of the best teams we've seen in this competition. Uh, they did the exact same thing against Palestino. They scored two goals in the first 25 minutes. Paulo Guijero Back in the Copa Libertadores, picked up a brace, including a really nicely worked first goal for Internacional's second. But then they gave up a goal before halftime. They gave up a goal to start the second half, and it was 2-2. And it almost felt like, oh, they did this again. They they threw it away again. But then Guijero did well to score the third. I believe some poor defending for from Palestino certainly yeah. play, played a role in that. Um I think that the result is perhaps a bit unfair to Palestino for the way they, they reacted. But that start from Internacional was once again very, very impressive for a second straight week. Yes, but I thought that like throughout the game, Palestino tried to play more of a football. Um, and that is actually kind of what got them back into this game. They ended the game with more shots and possession than their much bigger and illustrious opponents. Um, but yeah, like you say, Internationale got off to a great start. Patrick got the first goal. Um, after It was kind of a swift, sort of deep counter-attack, I'd describe it as, maybe from, from Inter. Um, and like you say, Guillermo scored a nice goal to make it 2-0, um, just returning from his doping ban, of course. And yeah, like you say, the Brazilians looked like they were going to win comfortably at that point. You know, however, as we know, like both these teams have actually recent history with two nils to, to get into the group stage. Palestino came back from two goals down um, against Tayeres in, in Argentina to draw 2-2. Um, and just last week, we saw Internacional blow a 2-0 lead against uh, River Plate. Um, so I think Palestino probably took confidence from the fact that you know, they took heart, I should say, rather than come. They took heart from the fact 
they've been two goals down before in this competition and come back and and yeah and they just continue to play their football knock the ball around nicely they won a set piece um, International failed to deal with it Julian Fernandez had basically two chances to score first effort hit the bar and then he rifled the ball home on the rebound um, and then at the start of the second half Palestino got in my opinion a deserved equaliser good de- good play down the right sort of a ever impressive Guillermo Soto cross for um, Passerini a player we spoke about a lot on last week's pod who then went on at the weekend to score again in the Chilean league but after that missed two sitters in that game to cost his team the game really but yeah in this one he did manage to convert probably his only real chance of the game to be fair to him and uh, and and he made it 2-2 at that point i really thought palestino could go on to win it but and and if they had done it would have probably been one of the best comebacks in chilean club football history in continental competition given all the circumstances but however it wasn't to be and and yeah as you hinted at there austin they kind of fell asleep, really, on a corner. It got sort of headed back across or um, put back across goal, and Guillermo managed to get something on it um, to sort of. And Adam, it, that will not it. be the last time we see poor set piece defending show up on this week's edition of the South American Football Show, will it? No, I, I think I, t- I text the group. No, oh, I can't remember after which goal it was. I saw, but it was just just seems like this year's competition. There's been so much poor defending on on set pieces, just players in acres of space to to to, to convert a header um, or or even a shot, and it's just yeah, just bizarre some of the defending we have seen in, in the competition this year. But yeah, Palestino unfortunately guilty of of that switch off, and and at this level. You know, they've, they've paid the price and, and a very heavy one. They have a crunch game coming up against River Plate um, in in Santiago in two weeks' time. If they lose that, they're out. River are through. But if they win, they're back in to second place and back in with a shot of, of going through. And even a draw gives them um, a glimmer of hope. But, yeah, River Plate. Austin, I think you saw this one. They had a walk in the park, really, against Alianza Lima. No, 3-0 win. Um, no fans in the stadium, so it sounded like they were playing in a park too. Um, and one thing which really caught my eye from the highlights I saw was a lovely goal from uh, Nicolas De La Cruz at, at the end of this one. Yeah, that was the third goal for River in, as you said, a, a relatively easy 3-0 win. Never really put under any pressure by Alianza Lima. Uh, Matias Suarez had the first goal on 15 minutes. Oh, always big in a, in a game like this against an opponent that you have more talent than to, to score early and not give them that chance to kind of believe and have something to hold on to. It could have been even quicker for River Plate uh, that they could have been 2-0 up. But Lucas Prato, who had a very poor game, skied a penalty that River had won uh, about midway through the first half. Uh, but then set-piece defending from Alianza Lima came up to bite them on River's second just after halftime. Lucas Martinez-Corta was somehow unmarked in the six-yard box on a corner and just pounded his header home. With no pressure. It was that goal that sparked my yeah. mini rant, I think. <laughs> and he was 
he wasn't just unmarked. He was unmarked in the six-yard box. It was as though nobody even knew he was there. No, it's, it's uh, like my, it's like my had heard a whistle and just basically yeah. stopped. It was not good. Uh, but then the the third goal for River was uh, some really good goals this week in the Libertadores, thinking back on it. But this third one was particularly impressive. Some great bit of interplay. The ball was kind of cut back outside the 18-yard box, and De La Cruz, with his left foot, just kind of curled it inside the post. Uh, one of those where you get the view from behind, and you can really see the curl that he puts on the strike. Uh, so that was a really good goal. and it, it was easy for River Plate. I don't think we ever really thought it would be anything but easy for River Plate. Um, but now, as you said, that sets up an absolutely massive match when this group resumes uh, April 24th in Santiago, Palestino River, everything on the table in that match. But then given the fact that Palestino still get to play Alianza Lima and River still have to play Internacional, uh, like you said, a draw doesn't exactly dash Palestino's hopes, though River at home against an Inter side that have booked a spot in the round of 16, we should mention, they became the first team to officially book a spot in the round of 16. We'll have a couple other teams that were able to do that on this week's show as well. They would you'd favor River to, to go on and win that match, but a draw certainly doesn't sink Palestino. Um, a win, and, and then they're certainly sitting pretty with just a match against the, uh, an overmatched Alianza Lima side left. So that's certainly a big match to look forward to when when the competition gets back underway in a couple weeks' time. With 16 matches in a week, we must press on. So let's move on to Group B, where Emelec drew 2-2 with Deportivo Lara. Now, we've waited a long time to see an Emelec goal in this, in this competition, and I decided to give this game a miss, as the late Thursday match basically seems to be a guaranteed disappointment in this year's um, Liberty Stories, but on this occasion I was wrong. No, Austin? Emelec involved in a four-goal thriller. Yes, which considering they'd been involved in games that had seen one goal combined in their first three was quite the surprise. Um, This game was really good, and it was nice that it was good when it was because the other two matches on Thursday um, may have been entertaining, certainly for the fans of the side who who won them running away, but were certainly not dramatic. But this one definitely was. Uh, Group B poised on a knife edge coming in. Uh, We'll get on to Cruzeiro's impressive performance in a bit, but it looks like it'll be these two teams fighting it out for the the last spot in the round of 16 from this group. Um, And in the first half, as you would expect, Emelec, the home side against Venezuelan opposition, saw a lot of the ball, but they just couldn't convert. And it, it looked as though they could never score. They hadn't scored coming into this game, and it looked like you could give them weeks and they wouldn't manage to score. Then uh, a, an interesting penalty call, to say the least. Uh, it looked like a a, a pass or, or a cross from short range caught the arm of an Emelec defender in the box. It didn't need to be a penalty, but it was. Deportivo Lara uh, converted on that. Frutos putting the penalty home. And at that point, a, a Lara win, and they, they would have been almost all but through from this group. But Emelec finally responded, and they responded really well. Brian Angulo, the boogeyman, with a pair of goals. The second one, a really, really nice kind of looped outside-footed chip into the top corner to give Emelec a 2-1 lead. They'd finally scored. It looked like they might be able to go on and win this match. And then from there, you would probably favor them to to go on and get out of the group. 
But Deportivo Lara have dealt with a lot in this competition. Their first match was postponed a day because of power failures. They had power failures in their match against Huracan that delayed the match. Uh, it's been difficult for them to travel to away matches. They've had to you know, take a roundabout way to get to everywhere that they've had to go. But they have fought on and fought through. And they fought in this match, came all the way back. And they scored an equalizer in the 89th minute. Vargas, the substitute, was the one who scored it. And I had no idea what Emelec was doing on this goal because it started with a punt from the Deportivo Lara goalkeeper. And it was a punt and then a, a bit of head tennis played in kind of the midfield for Lara. And the next thing you knew, Vargas was in on goal after just four touches. He one-touch finishes into the net. After the ball bounces a couple times and boom, it's 2-2. Deportivo Lara salvage a point from this game. And now, Adam, they sit in second place in Group B. They still have to play Cruzeiro at home. That could be difficult. Um, Emelec has to go to Belo Horizonte on the last match day. But they still get to play Huracan. And at this point, you might just favor them to get out of this group, which would be quite an impressive feat for them. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you've got to make Venezuelans slight favourites to, to get through now. Um, I think for just watching the highlights um, this morning, the second goal that you mentioned from the boogeyman, Angulo, um, I noticed on his celebration, he stuck a Lucha Libre mask on. and I think uh, it was a Spider-Man mask. Was it it Spider looked like Spider-Man to me. From what I could see, with an Emelec logo emblazoned on it, it could okay. it could be both. Yeah, it looked like a Spider-Man. That, that style, that style of mask, yes. anyway. And I and I think that that was a that was a bad move. We we saw how that worked out for for the Wolves Mexican striker um, Jimenez at the at the weekend in the FA Cup semi final. You know, don't put the mask on after scoring the the second goal in. Um, in, in a match that's, that's my advice from here on in yeah as, as for this group um Cruzeiro uh, like you say are in full control of the group they're already through that they got a 4-0 victory against Huracan and I think anybody who had seen any anything of this group could see this result coming a mile off um even the mar margin of victory um Austin you seem to tip Cruzeiro to win something every year are they going to win the Libertadores? They're going to win something this year. Either the Libertadores, the Cup, or the League. They're going to pick up one trophy because it feels like they pick up one trophy every year. <laughs> this was impressive. It was as impressive as a win against a Huracan side who are that bad could be. Um, a hat trick for Fred. Yes, that Fred. So good for him. Um, back and still scoring. All he does is score when he plays in Brazil. Um, he does not score, unfortunately, when he plays for Brazil. And, and that's kind of the big difference for him. But a hat trick in the span of 13 minutes in the first half, which probably says all you need to know about Huracan. He was consistently left free to fire in the box, which is probably not something you should do against one of the most consistent strikers in South America. Huracan were largely toothless, as you'd expect. Uh, they did have a chance right after Cruzeiro scored their first goal, Fred scoring in the 19th minute, to pull one back. But a great double save from the Cruzeiro goalkeeper, Fabio, uh, kept this match at 1-0. And then they went down on the other end and scored the second. And the fourth goal for Cruzeiro, Dodo in the 83rd minute, is worth a mention as well. He was able to pick out the top corner with a really good-looking goal off. So, um, as you said, this match was pretty clear what was going to happen before it and was pretty clear what was going to happen during it. 
Hudakon have been dreadful in this competition it is really the only thing you can say the only goal they scored was away to Depotivo Lara after they were already two goals down they've only picked up a point that came in a dull nil nil draw against Emelec I believe that was one of those Thursday late matches um, they've been poor they still mathematically have a chance in this group but if you've seen them play at all you know that that's probably not the case Cruzeiro impressive to be fair, they haven't been challenged much in this group, but four matches played, four wins, eight goals scored, none conceded. That's what you like to see against lesser opposition. So they will head into the round of 16 with quite a bit of momentum. It certainly looks like Cruzeiro could go far in the Libertadores this year. Let's move on to Group C, um, Olympia 2, Godai Cruz 1. This result is, was actually far more comfortable than it sounds. Godai Cruz's goal were header from El Moro Garcia in, 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 in injury time was the Argentine reply in, in this one. But Olympia were completely dominant. To be honest, I was a little bit unsure around the, of the, of the positivi- positivity around Olympia at sort of the start of this competition. I'd heard some good things about them. I think I mentioned that last week. But it's really only been in these last couple of games that I see what some of the fuss has been about. And for me, they are one of the best sides um, in this competition and certainly one of the best sides to watch, albeit they have a fairly weak group. So you can't get a great read on them at this stage. I think, Austin, we both agree that the two goals from Nestor Camacho um, were two really satisfying strikes of the football, no? Um, from pretty much identical spots in the area driven into the same far corner. Yeah, always good when you can get that pace behind it. Uh, a tightly wound net always helps a, a strike like that look. Uh, you always like the aesthetics of a goal, and that was the case here. And I agree with you on Olympia. You know, they're undefeated and they top this group, but their first two matches were actually draws. So it's really only in the last two matches that, that we've kind of seen them start to be impressive. And in the second half against Sporting Cristal last week, they were very impressive. And as you said, two... 2-1 was not a particularly fair scoreline here. 2-0 would have been much more indicative of, of how this match actually played out. And, you know, they're not through yet from this Group C, but they're certainly looking quite good. And yet again, Paraguayan squads, we talked about them last week. They remain unbeaten in this competition. Wins for all three this week. Two of them, Cerro Porteño and Libertad, into the round of 16. So a big round of applause to Paraguayan football. This was impressive from Olympia and a very deserved result. Yep, and it looks like they probably have three group winners as well. Um, I, I would fully expect Olympia to go on now and win this group. Just to sort of point out more just how dominant they were in, in this game. They had over 20 shots um, so they really should have had one by a much bigger margin. Um, Godoy Cruz only had about five or six. So Godoy Cruz did have a man sent off late on as well, but you know that didn't really have any effect on the game. The other match in this group saw Sporting Cristal, the Peruvian champions, finally come alive. Um, they, they beat Universidad de Concepcion two 0 So some revenge for that heartbreaking. 5-4 defeat they suffered in the opening round of the Libertadores. This was a really disappointing defensive performance from Universidad de Concepcion. If they'd kept it tight, 
you know, they, they would have got something, but because I didn't think Sporting Cristal played particularly well. And even with 10 men, I thought Universa Concepcion actually played the better football. But yeah, they, they were split open on the, on the first goal. And again, we've talked about set-piece defending um, on this pod already tonight. But the second goal here was another example of just uh, just the defending side standing completely still and allowing a, a free header to a giant centre-back. So it's just, yeah, bizarre defending, really. And Sporting Cristal, they probably did deserve to win. I'm probably being a little bit harsh on them. Like they could have added a couple of more in in the second half, but I think you said to me, Austin, every time sort of you you looked at this game, Universidad Concepcion were wasting a chance to score, and and and, and in that second half, despite having one man less they, or one man fewer, they really couldn't take any of their chances, and and if they had just taken one, maybe Sporting Cristal would have panicked, and and they could have still maybe claimed something from this game. Um, but yeah, I'm just really, this was one of two very disappointing performances from, from Chile inside this week. Yeah. I, so when I watch matches, I, I watch all of them at the same time. So I can't focus in on, on every match as much as maybe I'd like to, particularly when there's four at a time and also eight in a day. What a Wednesday that was. Uh, but yeah, every time I looked over to the screen that I had this this Concepcion match, it was, oh, Concepcion are in. They can equal. Nope, they can't because they wasted it. And it just kind of had that type of feeling. I think they could have gotten something from this game. And that's not necessarily to take away anything from Sporting Cristal. I thought they did well to score the goals that they did. They played a man up for, for the majority of this match. They probably deserved to win. But that doesn't mean that uh, Concepcion couldn't have gotten something from this match because I absolutely think they could have. And now this leaves them in an interesting spot in this group. Um, this was always a group that I think from the start, Adam, we had pegged to be kind of wide open. There wasn't anybody that you would favor over anyone else. I think Olympia have kind of separated themselves from the other three sides. But Concepcion, Cristal, and Godoy Cruz are, are all still in this group with a chance to get out. Um, shocking to say about a Godoy Cruz side that have yet to win. But they have three points. They're only two off second place. So a lot can still happen here in Group C in these final two match days. Yeah, I, I, I think that any, any one of these three teams now could could grab second spot. Um, I I do think Universidad de Concepcion are, are capable of getting it. Um, I really haven't seen anything from Good God I Cruz so far in this competition to suggest... Um, you know, they, they will definitely get it, even though they do have two home games um, to come against uh, against Sporting Cristal and uh, Universidad Concepcion. So they will perhaps be the slight favourites, given that they've got those, those home games. But like I say, it was just one of those nights for the Chilean side against uh, Sporting Cristal where there was just too many disappointing performances from sort of key bef- key players and and. So like Hugo Droget, the the veteran there in sort of attacking midfield for one of us, he's been excellent so far in in the Libertadores, but he was disappointing in in Lima on on Wednesday night. And when you're you're on this sort of stage, everybody's got to be basically on on the top of their game. And um, and yeah, they probably had a bit of an off night. 
yeah, and, and to give a little bit more credit to Sporting Cristal in this game, um, the, the first goal, um, looking back at that, it was a beautiful through ball from Horacio Calzadera, the Argentine um, midfielder who, who plays for Sporting Cristal. A really, um, really lovely through ball and, and it was a nice finish from Palacios. Let's take a look at Group D now. Um, Flamengo 6, San Jose 1. Um, Austin, San Jose went a goal down and a man down early on. So a thrashing was always on the cards at that point. And some might argue it was even before the game anyway. Um, but yeah, basically my point is the two early setbacks didn't really do the Bolivians any favours here, no? No, and you don't often say this about a 6-1 result, but it wasn't that bad from, from San Jose in this match. <laughs> really? Away at the Americana, Diego scores three minutes in. You're like, oh no, this is probably not going to go well. Then it gets bad to worse. A San Jose player kind of pulls back. I believe it was Bruno and Hiki. It didn't need to be a red card. It, he was probably in on goal, but it was from far enough away that an argument could be made. Anyway, that's a straight red card on four minutes. So five minutes played. You're a goal down and a man down at the Maracanã against the biggest team in Brazil and also your San Jose of Bolivia. But they actually equalized on a really nice goal. Um, it's going to get lost in the shuffle because, again, 6-1. But some really good interplay. A couple of Flamengo players uh, have the ball go through their legs here. And Salcedo, the ageless wonder who keeps banging him in for this San Jose squad, gets the goal on 19 minutes to make it 1-1, even at that point, you, you don't actually think that they're going to get anything from this match, and obviously they didn't. Everton Ibedo gets it for Flamengo, it's 2-1, and then the floodgates kind of open up in the second half. The, the Uruguayan Dea Hascaeta scores the third for Flamengo, does a really good job to chest the ball down and then volley it into the corner to make it 3-1, and then it really opened up in the last kind of 10 minutes. San Jose were tired from their effort at that point, 3-1, would have probably been a fairer scoreline than the 6-1 was. Uh, Everton Ibedo gets the fourth. Vicinio gets the fifth from the penalty spot. And then a Gutierrez own goal makes it 6-1. All of that happening in the span of eight minutes. Uh, a deserved win for Flamengo. It was always going to be a Flamengo win. That was confirmed five minutes in by the way this started. But at least give the, the Bolivians a bit of credit for scoring and equalizing when it probably didn't look like they would. And that win actually puts Flamengo back on top of Group D on goal differential ahead of Peñarol, uh, who were winners against LDU Quito by just one goal, one nil. Uh, we'll get on to that match in a second. But this group, it, it looks to be in the bag for Flamengo and Peñarol. I think that is still the most likely outcome here. But Flamengo do still have two away matches, uh, a crunch match against Liga de Quito in the next match day uh, on April 24th. If they were to lose there, then it kind of gets a little bit interesting. They don't have any more Bolivian bankers in the bag. And Liga de Quito gets to play San Jose on the last match day. San Jose eliminated with this result, unsurprisingly. So Flamengo, they look good. They don't have to do too much over their final two matches. But they do have to still go to Quito. They do have to still play away to Peñarol, which has proven to be tricky so far in this competition. 
So they're not completely through yet. I think we just have to put that little bit of an asterisk by them. And this is actually a scenario that you envisioned a couple weeks ago, Adam. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it, it's it's looking like after after this set of results, though, that I'd probably edge towards um, Flamengo making it through alongside Peñarol. But yeah, you can't you can't completely rule out the Ecuadorians uh, at this stage. Um, that one nil home defeat that Flamengo suffered um, to Peñarol could still prove costly, um, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting if Flamengo can get something on the road because if my memory serves me correctly, that isn't a place they've been particularly strong in, in recent years, um, having to get results away from home. However, they did grab, they've already grabbed an impressive 1-0 win in the altitude um, um, uh, away, to, away to San Jose, so... Maybe it's it's going to be a different story this time around. And Adam, I think at this point you can only think back to last week that three three draw between Liga de Quito and San Jose. Had Liga de Quito been able to hang on to that lead and leave that match with a win, they'd have two more points, and this group would be, I think, be a lot more interesting coming down the stretch with still two home games left for Liga de Quito. Quickly on the Peñarol Liga de Quito match. Um, this was Peñarol football, man. A 1-0 home win with Saboya Rodriguez scoring in the 70th minute. I don't know if we've seen this exact game before, but it really feels like we've seen this exact game before. This is what Uruguayan sides do. This is what Peñarol does. They're quite pleased with the result. It was a well-worked goal. Uh, good job by Savoya to, to finish it, to, to give credit to him. Yeah, but Viatri with the setup, I think, again. Yeah. Uh, he's having this a good game, with Sadoras. He, he is. This game went how Peñarol wanted it to go, and now they look to be in pretty good shape here. Um, a, a point in Uro against San Jose, it already eliminated San Jose side of the next match day, should probably be enough to send them through, um, but we'll see how that goes. They've looked good so far in this group. Uh, they've looked pretty poor in recent Copa Libertadores, but a, a pair of home wins, 1-0 against Liga de Quito, 4-0 against San Jose. They still have a home match with Flamengo to come. And on the road, they've been all right. Only the 2-0 loss against Liga de Quito against them, and they got that win at the Metacana. That's going to loom large for them and probably be enough to send them through. Yeah, I'm not too happy with Peñarol, to be honest, because the last couple of years, sort of pre-Libertadores, for the podcast, I've, I've tried to research them a bit, and I think the last couple of years, um, 2016, 2000, uh, 2017, 2018, I predicted them to do well. They didn't do well. They were amongst what some of the most disappointing sides in in those two tournaments. Um, this year, I, I I didn't really look into them much, and what do you know? Suddenly, they're looking like they will probably actually make it out of the group for once. Let's move on and have a look at Group E. Now, Cerro Porteño 4, Atletico Mineiro 1. Austin, another really impressive performance from Paraguayan side. Another really impressive performance from Cerro Porteño. And another really disappointing performance from Atletico Mineiro. Yeah, that is... 
definitely this match summed up in a couple of sentences. I think Cerro Porteño, as they are currently constructed, and again, this is the Copa Libertadores, so that can change before the knockout rounds, have to be considered one of the favorites for this competition because they have been really, really good so far. Four wins from four, eight scored, two conceded. They are through to the round of 16. And they've done it in impressive fashion. A trio of home wins. They still have two away matches to come. Um, so that could end up you know, costing them perhaps an undefeated group stage. But they've been really good. And in this match, their response was really impressive. Because Atletico Mineiro actually started this match all right. Uh, they kind of found their footing. Ricardo Oliveira actually scored the first goal. So 19 minutes in, Atletico Mineiro were 1-0 up. Oliveira has had a pretty good scoring record in this Copa Libertadores. This was a massive match for them coming in. Uh, the path to get out of this group, you had to think, involved them getting something from this match. They scored first, um, and you thought, okay, they need to buckle down, and they need to get something and look to hit out on the counter. But it was Cerro Portado with just a flurry of punches right before halftime. Uh, Acosta in the 31st minute going under the wall on a free kick. You can't let that happen in a game that you have to have. And the most amazing thing about this goal, Adam, is we see this sometimes, particularly in the Copa Libertadores. It's a very Copa Libertadores move. We're on a free kick. You put somebody down behind the wall on a knee to prevent the ball from going under the wall. And Acosta still was able to go under the wall. Luan is just sitting there on his knee, unable to do anything. And Acosta goes under the wall. It yeah. finds the back of the net, and boom! Cerro Porteño are back in this one nil. Uh, I think um, I think his favorite free kicks go the 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 under the wall free kick. I think perhaps is my favorite, the cheekiest of of, uh, of techniques. It was it was really well done, and also they had a guy that was supposed to keep it from happening, and it still happened, which I think is a a big criticism of Atletico Mineiro there on that one. Defensive errors, I think, were, were kind of the story here for Mineiro. We had that error on the first free kick goal. The, the second was a rocket from distance from Carrizo, but the goalkeeper, Victor, could have done better. I believe he got a yeah. hand to that. I, he probably needs to save that. Yeah, for me, definitely. It really has to save it. Uh, maybe the... Because it sort of bounces, I think, just before it... It, it it was due to reach him, but and maybe that caught him off guard. But yeah, looking at the highlights last night, it, he didn't have a particularly good game by the looks of it. No, and then on the third goal, Atletico Mineiro just get their signals crossed in the back. They don't do a good job of clearing it. Victor Casares pounces, puts the ball into the roof of the net. It's 3-1, and then right on halftime, Cerro Pretendu really put this match away. Uh, Lottie Vey... A long ball to him. Both the goalkeeper and a defender come out to play it. And he is able to really deftly touch it around or through them and then get in on an empty net and roll it home for 4-1. That was diabolical. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. From from the Brazilian point perspective, I think. Um, the goalkeeper kind of jumps. I'm not sure what he's jumping at. He <laughs> just... Look up this uh, the fourth goal for Serie Porteño against Atletico Mineiro if if you want um, if you want a little bit of light entertainment would be my message. <laughs> so this is is a great result for Serie Porteño as we said they're through Atletico Mineiro. Look, they're not in a good spot. That's certainly true. They're they're six points down with two to play, but they still have a bit of a shot in this group, Adam, because they have a home match against Nacional and then an away match against Zamora. 
So I think they're down big on goal differential after this result. They're at minus four. Nacional, uh, who we'll get on to in a minute, are at plus two. But if they can beat Nacional by multiple goals, they can get some help from Cerro Porteño, and they can hammer a bunch through Zamora on their away match, they still have a shot to get out of this group. But at this point, it just feels like they're grasping at straws because they should be on, on a better was, position than I, three I was just about to say, it sounds like you are clutching at straws, really. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd be stunned if um, Atletico Monero managed to get through now. Nacional just need a point from, from their last two games. and, um, and if, if, you, the, if we know anything about yeah, Nacional, exactly. getting a point is, is <laughs> right. a free result. They'll probably just get a pair of nil-nil draws that over actually trying to win either of those games, you know. They're actually just play for the minimum result. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, th- I think this group is pretty much done and dusted. I think the, the thing for me with Mineto is you just feel, and I shouldn't feel this anymore after what I've seen from them in this competition over the past few years, that at some point their talent will come through. And it should have in this group. This should have been an easy second place at least for them in this group. But that just hasn't been the case. They've got one more chance. You've got to beat Nacional at home and you probably need to do it by multiple goals. Um, as for Nacional... They picked up a 1-0 win over Zamora, which went largely exactly as you would have expected it. Um, Zamora have been game in this group, but but certainly overmatched. And that shows in the fact that they've picked up zero points and have a minus four goal differential. The goal here for Nacional was actually really well worked, though. A, a pair of back heels, including on the finish from Gonzalo Bergesio, to give them that 1-0 lead. So a really nicely worked goal, but a 1-0 home win for Nacional. Uh, not exactly a surprising result there, is it, Adam? No. Uh, like, like basically, I've just said, I'm pretty sure they would take a 1-0 win over a 5-0 win if they could. So this group, it looks to be done and dusted, but I, 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 I've painted the path for Atletico Mineiro if they are to get out of this group. I think stranger things have happened, but again, on the evidence that they've shown in this group, you really can't believe in them anymore. And at some point, you kind of just have to cut your losses and say, I'm done believing in this team. But apparently that point has not yet arrived for me. Next up is Group F, a group that saw Palmeiras get a 3-0 victory over Junior. Now, Austin, the Palmeiras bus was attacked before this game by their own fans, but I'm guessing it wasn't attacked after the game. It was not, although there was some fear that that could happen again, so Palmeiras actually changed their post-game routine. A really weird scene. Um... You don't see that all that often, even in South America. Palmeiras had a poor showing in the state leagues once again. A pair of nil-nil draws against a Sao Paulo side that Palmeiras certainly have a lot more talent than. And then Palmeiras went out on penalties in the state league semifinals. So that will leave Sao Paulo against Corinthians in the final of the, the Sao Paulo state league. That had some pressure on this Palmeiras side, coupled with the loss away to San Lorenzo in between. They hadn't scored in three matches coming into this match. But nothing fixes your elements like playing this junior side who have been, for my money, probably the worst 
non San Jose side in this Copa Libertadores. <laughs> Although Rosario Central have been pretty poor too. There have been have, a lot of bad at least, sides. At least, at least San Jose have scored. Come on. Yeah. Junior. Junior, no no goals, seven conceded, no points in their first four matches. They've been brutally poor. And this match could have been a lot worse. It was 3-0 to Palmeiras, and it easily could have been five or six had Sebastian Vieira, the junior goalkeeper, not come up with some really, really good saves down the stretch of this match. He had one when Junior were 2-0 down. One of the best saves I think you'll see in this tournament. Palmeiras were in in a shot towards the far corner, and he's able to dive off his line to keep it out. He played really well, but the rest of the junior side played really poorly. Uh, an early goal for Palmeiras. Vieira made a couple of saves, one on a free kick, one on the rebound, but then Daverson was there to just kind of nod at home for the 1-0. Uh, the 2-0 was a well-taken strike by Dudu. And then the 3-0 was really well worked uh, by Dudu and Johan. Um, a ball played in by Johan to Dudu. Back heel, back into the path of Johan. Vieira off his line. Johan finishes for the 3-0. A good result for Palmeiras. They should be getting out of this group now. Um, they play Melgar and, and San Lorenzo to close this group. Melgar away, San Lorenzo at home. All they need is a point from that match away to the Peruvian side, and they're out of this group. This was an impressive performance with the caveat that it was against a junior side that have been just dreadful in this group stage. There's really no other way to put it. And just, uh, to, just to illustrate how bad junior have been, they, uh, they have become the fifth uh, side in Copa Libertadores history um, to go basically four consecutive defeats without scoring a goal. Um, joining the likes of uh, Deportivo Tachara in 1980. And that's, so that's when Venezuelan football <laughs> was very, very weak. Um, Sport Boys of Peru in 1985. Sporting Cristal in 2001. And another Peruvian site, Universitario, in 2014. So, you know, that is not the sort of list you want to be joining. No, Austin? Those are not the clubs that you want to be mentioned in the same breath in when it comes to Copa Libertadores history. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, they've been bad. And Vieira was really good in this match. I think he deserves credit. The scoreline doesn't show it, but he played brilliantly and he kept this from being a lot worse than it could have been for junior. So uh, a good performance from Palmatis junior are poor and they should be getting out of this group now from this stage. So good for them. They kind of righted the ship. Um, we'll see how long that lasts for it is Brazilian football, but they've got a bit of a breather now before the, the domestic league kicks in and before the end of this group stage kicks in. So they can kind of take some time and, and gather their thoughts here as they head in towards the latter half of, of 2019. Yeah. And, um, and to make things worse for our friend, Simon Edwards, um, Jorge Almiron's balmy army, San Lorenzo go marching on another <laughs> win without conceding a goal. A 2-0 victory here for San Lorenzo over Melgar. And that is, we think, probably enough to see the Argentines through to the last 16. Yeah, no goals conceded over four matches, Adam. On that evidence, San Lorenzo should have enough to get out of this group. They only need one more point to make it mathematical. But 10 points should probably be enough with the goal differential that they have. And this was another San Lorenzo performance. Um... They haven't been particularly exciting. They haven't been particularly entertaining. 
but they've been really stout defensively. And sometimes in the Copa Libertadores, that's what you need to be to have success. That's what they were here. They picked up their first goal right on halftime. Uh, a nice glancing header from Gonzalo Rodriguez, who probably shouldn't have been given as much no. space as he was. More, more poor set-based defending. This is yet another example. Now, if you've got a free kick, if you're defending a free kick in in that position, then the one thing you can't allow is basically a free header for the player nearest to the to the free kick taker, which is which is basically what they allowed happen. So he had a free run onto the ball. There was no first cover at all. Absolutely ridiculous set piece defending here. And it gets even worse for Melgar because right after halftime, San Lorenzo go down to ten men. Juan Camilo Salazar picks up a second yellow card. Melgar are goal down in a match where they have to get a result with 54 minutes played. And then John Narvaez picks up a straight red card on the 61st minute. I think you you can probably criticize the decision here. It was a bit harsh, but this was for afters. This wasn't a play that he tried to make. He got involved with some San Lorenzo players in the box. He threw out a, a shoulder, a nudge, an elbow, a head, whatever it ended up being that the referee saw. You cannot put yourself in that position in a match that you have to have when you have the man advantage. That then made it 10 on 10, and San Lorenzo put this away late. Now, while Barrios picked out the corner, uh, a well-worked 1-2. Um, but Melgar had to be better in this match, and they just weren't, Adam. And, and that is probably what's going to cost them getting out of this group. They now will have to beat Palmeiras at home, probably do it by a significant amount of goals. And then they will have to go away to junior and beat them again, probably by a significant amount of goals while also contending with the fact that San Lorenzo will play Palmetas on the final day with the knowledge that a draw between those two teams will more than likely be enough to send them both through. So it is a long, long uphill path from Elgar that involves them overturning a whole lot of goal differential. So this group is probably done, and that San Lorenzo-Palmetas game on the final match day will probably be to determine who finishes first and who finishes second. But San Lorenzo, Adam, what have you made of them? Are they as good as 10 points in this group? It doesn't feel like they are. But when you don't concede goals, you generally have success. Yeah, and that was basically going to be my reply to you. You know, if if you if you're that strong and organised defensively, um, and we've seen this before in the Libert stories, you know, you can go far just based on that. So, um, I would have some doubts about them. Um, you know, in in the knockout stages of this before of of this competition, you wonder if they have enough attacking talent to have a proper run. But um, they they do still have a couple of players to to come back into into this squad. Um, uh, one player I really liked watching at the under twenty South American Championships, um, Adolfo Gaich, a big. But a big bustling centre forward um, with a powerful shot. Um, if he, if I'm, I'm not sure how far away he is now from from the first team, um, but I noticed that he was on the bench for this one at least. And you know, maybe given a few more months, he, he could he could become uh, a key player for this side. And I think that would be my thing here. You know, if San Lorenzo have got through to the last 16, which we think they probably have, then, you know, they've got the South American winter to invest some funds in into this team and, and perhaps have a crack 
at winning this competition again. Um, obviously, they, they won it fairly recently. Um, and in Almiron, I know that Simon didn't think much of him uh, managing Atletico Nacional, but you know, with Argentine, which Argentine sides, he's he's had some success. He got Lanús to the final in 2017, so he knows how to guide teams um, far in 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 this competition. So you can't rule them out completely. Although, like I say, I think perhaps they don't have quite enough talent if you compare them to some of the other sides which we think will be in the, in the last 16. I would agree with you there. And I would assume Almiron's probably got a couple of his favorites still floating around that he could use some money to, to bring in. You know he likes his guys. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they do in the winter window uh, in Argentina, given what they've been able to do so far in this competition, if that maybe spurs some further investment, if they go after a, 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 goal, a tr- true out-and-out goal scorer maybe to try to add to this squad. Indeed, indeed. Okay, the penultimate group we're going to look at is Group G, um, a group that saw Boca Juniors claim uh, predictable and comfortable 4-0 victory over Jorge Wilstermann of Bolivia. Austin, this featured possibly one of the goals of the week um, from Zarate. You have to say that Boca Juniors are probably going to win this group now, although they still face stiff competition from Atletico Paranaense um, for, for that, but it's probably the Argentine and the Brazilian side going through in this group. Yeah, there was a bit of drama in this Boca Juniors match. They won a penalty in the first half that actually ended up being saved. Benedetto took the penalty, and Jimenez, the Wilsterman goalkeeper, did really well to go down to his right to push the effort around the post and save it. Thought, okay, maybe the, there's a bit of drama here. King Eddie's bunch will, will rally themselves and, and dig out a historic result at La Bomaneta. But that was pretty easily squashed. Reynoso scored in the first half. Then Benedetto got redemption with a penalty about on the hour mark to make it 2-0. And then a couple of late goals made this inflated this scoreline a little bit on what was a very rainy night at La Bomaneta. Um Boca were not necessarily at their best, and 4-0 is a bit kind to them, but they deserve to win this match pretty handily, and they did. That Zorate goal for the third, really nicely worked. Look that one up. Um, as you said, one of the goals of the week. As I said earlier, a lot of really good goals in this this week so far. And then an own goal from Alex Silva in the 90th minute made this 4-0. It's hard to see Boca not going through from this group. It was always hard to see Boca not going through. But the poor performances, particularly of Talima, I think have kind of emphasized that fact um, we'll get on to the Salima match in a second but Boca are going to go through we should point out that Boca do still have to go away to Colombia and take on Talima and Talima are only three points behind them so you know there is some hope there for for the Colombians but I think for me as you've just said there we just haven't really seen enough from Talima to suggest that they're good enough to beat Boca Juniors, really, and, and and that would be my that that would be my caveat here, really. Yeah, and even if they were, that would pull them level on points, but probably still a ways behind on goal differential. Um, and then Boca would 
you know, still probably have to beat Atletico Paranaense at home on the final day. Talima go to Cochabamba to play Wilsterman, so they would probably have to win that by a lot uh, to to have themselves feeling good about going through. It's possible, but again, on the evidence, we just haven't seen enough from Talima to to really suggest that that they could go on and do this. They had that home win against Atletico Paranaense, but that was Paranaense's first match of the year as a team, and it wasn't exactly an impressive one no win for Talima. But since then, they, they've really been quite poor. They were pegged back at home by Wilsterman. In this match against Atletico Paranaense, which ended up as a 1-0 win for the home side, Tolima weren't exactly terrible. Paranaense were not at their best, but they did enough. Bruno Guimaraes, who has been really good in this competition, he's a name that I think you'll be seeing a lot more of as this competition goes on and as he continues yeah. to, to play for Paranaense. He's being linked with some major clubs in Europe, isn't it, hasn't he? In the, yeah, the I, saw, few days as well. I saw Chelsea were, were rumored. Um, around him. So a big move is probably not too far away for him. He struck a ball that kind of rolled along the grass. It looked like it took a deflection and found the back of the net. Either it took a deflection or the Talima goalkeeper just didn't try to go get it. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that it took a deflection. Uh, and that was enough. That came in the 79th minute for Atletico Paranaense. Their home form in this competition has been brilliant. We kind of expected that. They picked up a 3-0 home win against Boca Juniors, a 1-0 home win against Talima, and a 4-0 home win against Jorge Wilsterman. It's just tough for teams to come in and play on that synthetic surface when they're not used to it. They've been good at home for a couple of years now in all competitions, and they've they've translated that to the to the Copa Libertadores. I think they and Boca will probably be going through with that match at La Bombonera on the final day to determine who goes through in what position. Yeah, and, and Paranaense also have one of the best defensive records in this competition as well. Just one goal conceded, and that was in their first game. So three clean sheets in a row and eight goals without reply. So, you know, they're full of confidence. Um, although in the next match day, they do have the test of altitude in Cochabamba away to Wilsterman. So be interesting to see how they get on in the thin air. Let's move on to the final group that we have to discuss, and that is Group H. Um, this Austin contained the only away win of the whole week, and it came from a Paraguayan side, of course, given the former in, and it came against the Chilean side, of course. <laughs> um, uh, Libertad 3, Universidad Católica 2, um, well, I should say Universa Catolica 2, Libertad 3, as the Chileans were at home. Um, this was very disappointing from the Chilean perspective, especially as Catolica took the lead in this game. A lovely finish from Edson Puch, but they, f- they had a couple of chances to build on that. But it looked like before half-time, the game was kind of just petering out. And I think what happened was... Katolika just kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. The, the mind started to wander. The game actually seemed like, you know, they were in control of it so well. And the fact they'd already got a 2-1 win over Rosario Central and a 1-0 win over Gremio 
games they pretty much controlled the whole 90 minutes off. It felt like this game was going the same way. And then suddenly they were hit by two quick goals from the Paraguayans just before half-time. On both goals, really, it was a case of Godolica not being able to deal with um, with aerial quality from from the Paraguayans. Um, something we've seen before in matchups between uh, Chilean and Paraguayan sides. Ricaudi, who who got on the end of the Cardoza knocked down to make it one one and forty three minutes, and then Cardoza himself found him found himself basically unmarked um, for for a header. Um, right on half time to to make it two one and and that left the San Carlos de Apoquindo Stadium pretty much shell shocked um, and Catolica huffed and puffed in the second half. Um, they they had some chances to make it two two, but Libertad also had a couple of chances on the counter attack and the, and the third of which. Angel Lucena managed to dink it over the the onrush into Dero in the in the Catolica goal to make this game safe three uh, one. Sebastian Saez actually got a goal with the last kick of the game to make it three two, but it didn't make any difference obviously. So yeah, this uh, this was a real opportunity missed for Catolica, I feel, um, but. They are still very much alive. Um, they are still in second place in the group. And probably a win away to either Rosario Central or Gremio could well be enough to see them through. A win away to Gremio would certainly see them through. But before that, they go to Rosario, Rosario to play Central. And, uh, and I think that's where the three points are most likely to come from. So if they got that, then depending on how Gremio get on away to Libertad, then they, they might be through. Um, if Gremio beat Libertad in Paraguay, then this game, whatever happens in the Cotolica rosario Central game, will go down to the last game uh, of the group um, in Porto Alegre between Gremio and Cotolica. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's still very much alive, the second place in this group. Libertad are heading through as group winners. There's a little bit of hope for Rosario Central, but their goal difference is... Have you seen them play? Yeah, is, uh, is poor. And yeah, as Austin just said, have you seen them play? You know, it's very it's very difficult to see them suddenly getting two wins um, at the end of this group. And even if they did that, like I say, I'm pretty sure their goal difference wouldn't be good enough to, to see them through. So yeah, it's... Uh, it's looking like Libertad and one of Catolica or Gremio for second spot. Um, but yeah, um, just just a quick word on sort of Chilean football. You know, last last week I said, you know, it was pretty much a perfect week for Chilean sides. Well, this week has obviously been a disaster in the, in the Libertadores. Um, and now there's a real worry that maybe all three sides could be heading out but um, I have faith that at least one of them will make it through and there was at least some good news on the under 17 South American Championship front with 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 Chile making it through um, alongside Argentina for now uh, to to Brazil uh, 2019 whoever 
what under-17 World Cup will be held this year. Austin, any other business? Well, we haven't talked about the Gremio-Rosario Central match, so I'll go ahead and give a quick recap of that. A 3-1 win for Gremio. That was, in reality, a 3-0 win. Aguirre with the late pride goal for Rosario Central. Leo Gomes with two goals for Gremio in the second half of this match, including his second, which was a really well-worked strike from distance. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with Gremio in this group going forward because they haven't looked overly impressive until this match. Uh, and I think there's still perhaps a bit of a concern that this match might have just been the fact that they played the Rosario Central side that have really struggled in this competition so far. So now they get the real test. They go away to Libertad on the next match day. Where's the Libertad motivation is, I think, a fair question as well. There's six points clear at the top of the group. They should have enough to go through regardless. But if Gremio can get something from that match, then that'll set up a really intriguing, decisive match in Porto Alegre. But, Adam, there's a very real possibility that Gremio could go and lose away to Libertad. And then that would allow Universidad Católica on the next night, on the 24th, to win away to Rosario Central and go through regardless of what happens in that final match. So a lot still to play for in this group. It'll probably be between those two teams. Um, We'll see. A good response for Gremio. They were under a lot of pressure coming into this match. And they delivered. Uh, a good crowd at the Orlando Gremio that was cheering on every Libertad goal as well as every Gremio goal. They knew what was at stake in that match. Um, so I think this will probably come down to Porto Alegre on the final match day in some form, uh, whether that's Gremio need to win, Catolica can play for a draw or some variation of that. I think this will probably come down to May 8th in Porto Alegre to determine second place in Group H. Indeed, indeed. Um yeah, so do you have anything to plug, Austin, before we see this pod out? Um, nothing in particular. Follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Follow at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana for all of the latest from both of those competitions. A uh, couple of scouting spotlight podcasts have come out in recent weeks if you managed to miss those. So be sure to check those out as well. And you can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Um, Nothing much to plug at the moment. Um, All what's really left to say is that we'll be back in two weeks' time, uh, most probably. I can't see there being a pod next week. Uh, with no limpid stories action going on. You don't want to break down the the big Sudamericana first-phase ties between such stalwarts as Nacional, Potosi, Zulia... Uh, Mushu Gruna, Rio Negro Aguilas, Oriente Petrolero, Deportivo Municipal. Should I go on? I can name more Sudamericana sides. They're all real, I promise you. I, I, I'm always happy to, but it's, it's getting the people in. If, if I can only get one other person to join me to discuss the Libertadores, um, I, don't, I don't give myself too much hope of finding anybody to discuss the Sudamericana with. Um, so, yeah, um, basically... Join us in a couple of weeks for the next update from the Libertadores. Um, A big thanks to Austin for joining me on this pod. A huge thanks to our listeners for choosing this podcast. Once again, please rate and review us on iTunes if you have the time. And it's goodbye.